This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Colorado Mammoth improved to 3-0 and are one of two teams still undefeated this season. One game separates first through fifth in the NLL East Division. The Vancouver Stealth and Rochester Nighthawks felt the full effects of an East Coast storm over the weekend. And Jeff Snyder and Mitch Belisle impressed from the color commentary chair. All that more on OTCB. Happy New Year's, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me. Email teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on the old Twitter box at Off the Crossbar. It's a brand new year. The season's going on. We're entering week five, but after watching the four games over the weekend... I completely forgot when I woke up on Sunday that it was New Year's Eve. I had no plans, no expectations, no resolutions. And so Bear and I just kind of hung out and walked the town. So happy New Year's and happy holidays to you and to yours. Thank you for stopping by as always, as mentioned, four games over the past weekend. And there were some interesting travel arrangements made by some of the lacrosse clubs, uh, most notably Vancouver and Rochester. We'll get to that a little bit later, but if you were following along on Twitter, uh, you knew just how crazy of a 24-hour period the Rochester Nighthawks had. Uh, And if you follow some of the stealth members on Snapchat, you're able to see all the different places that they went on their drive from Uncasville back to Newark. They ended up in the Bronx at one point. Jake Elliott, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Stealth, will stop by, as will head coach of the Rochester Nighthawks by former teammate in Rochester, Mike Hazen. Uh, Both those guys were a part of the crazy travel days their teams had, so we'll touch base with them a little bit later on in the show. As mentioned, Mitch Belial and Jeff Snyder made their NLL TV debuts, and man, were they ever good. This is something that I have been asking the National Lacrosse League to do more of. And you look at all the other professional sports that are out there, soccer, basketball, football, hockey, baseball, you name it. Their best commentators are former athletes. Look at how good Tony Romo has been for the NFL this year. The first game that he called, he instantly became one of my favorite color commentators in all of sports. And I have been asking uh, past commissioners, present commissioners, uh, different people in within organizations, even people that are within the league and may not be the commissioner, to please make it a focus to somehow reach out to former players that are in markets and get them in the broadcast booth. And Jeff Snyder made his NLL broadcasting debut a few weeks ago when he hopped on with the Sportsnet guys as they called the game over the radio. And for all intents and purposes, did a pretty bang-up good job. And with Ryan Ballantine unable to, to make it to the game over the weekend, 
Snide's got the tap on the shoulder. Was asked to fill on in on NLL TV with Grant Farhall. And I talked to Snide's um, the days leading up to the game. He was a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious, a little worried. But I just told him, man, be yourself. Rip guys if you got to. Have fun. Make jokes. And there were times where he's a little stuttery or maybe was looking for a word here or there. But overall, I give him a solid 7.5 out of 10. Easily. And then in the Rochester-Georgia game, Mitch Belisle, Mr. Luxurious, steps into the booth with Mark Zeno and sounded like a seasoned pro. He was fantastic. Breaking down defenses, talking about ball swings, picks, different motions on offense and defense. Both guys were absolutely fantastic. I hope they continue to do games. And I hope other teams follow suit and bring in guys that have played in this current formation of the league. Because... The game now is completely different than it was 20 years ago. And I think having not only guys that have played this version of the National Cross League, been in this game the last decade or so, but players that fans will be able to relate to and may tune in just because those people are calling games. And it sounds like and looks like the National Cross League is starting to hear some words that have been whispered in their ears to get more former players into the broadcast. Uh, When you watch the Calgary games, you also notice that Andrew McBride is between the benches. Uh, He is doing um, in-house work. He's also doing Jumbotron interviews, which get seen during the NLL TV broadcast, which are great. It's one of, like, the only things I like about when a team uses the Jumbotron feed, is you get to see Andrew McBride interview people and players. Other than that, I don't ever want to see a Jumbotron feed ever again. And again, something the league is working towards moving away from, and they want to have, you know, dedicated camera people, dedicated producers, the whole nine. That's down the road. But this was a really good step because the knowledge of Snyder and Belial usurped the knowledge that the other people had. No knock to Ryan Ballantine and no knock to Brian Silcott. But the fresh voices brought a different look to the game and, and sound to the game and feel to the game and knowledge of players personally and from a competitive standpoint made what they had to say more pertinent, more imperative, and more knowledgeable. And I was completely blown away how both guys did, and I hope they get asked to come back. Parts of me think that Mitch Belisle has done games before, maybe last year. But I'm pretty sure Snide's was only on his second ever broadcast. But again, both guides did a great, great job. Both got to see 
some very interesting lacrosse games. We'll break down the four games over the past weekend momentarily. But we constantly ask for better product in the broadcast, and this is how you get it. You get people who know the game, know the players, the ins and outs, the intricacies, the small, minute details that fans may not pick up on. It allows the broadcast to be that much more polished and professional. And I hope the NLL continues to do that in all markets. Because it's needed. The knowledge of players is needed. So congratulations to Jeff Snyder and Mitch Blyle on doing an absolutely stand-up job over this past weekend calling games. Because it's not easy. Everyone says, oh, I could slide into that chair and do a better job. You are more than welcome to join me and to try and do it. Because it's not that easy. Some people take to it fairly easily, but there are a lot of nerves. You have to be completely careful about how everything comes out of your mouth. And at times you have to be fairly unbiased, which I think both Jeff and Mitch did. Both guys are former teams of the teams they were broadcast, former players of the teams they were broadcasting. They could easily, you know, Jeff could easily have been all over Calgary and just trashed Colorado. Same with Mitch. He could have been all over Georgia and just thrown Rochester under the bus. But they didn't. They were professional. They were succinct. They were poignant and just a a bang-up job. I couldn't have been happier uh, to hear both of their calls and to see what they did because it was so refreshing to listen to. So, again, kudos to those guys. Um, Jeff got to call the Colorado-Calgary game. The Mammoth coming away with an 11-7 victory. Uh, They improve to 3-0 and one of the best starts in team history especially over the last five or six years. Uh, They are atop the West one game or a half a game ahead of the Saskatchewan Rush, who are also 2-0. They were idle this past weekend, but get right back into things coming up this weekend as they take on Georgia in rematch of last year's Champions Cup final, which will be a very interesting game because that game we saw in the preseason where where Georgia got absolutely stomped on isn't going to be the outcome we see this weekend. So the Rush, Idol, got a chance to get even with Colorado. Colorado was off this weekend. Um, but again, that 11-7 victory over Calgary. And what a game it was between those two teams because they are two teams that always like to battle back and forth. And they have a fantastic rivalry. And they have a lot of history against each other. And when they... Stepped on the floor, you knew that it was going to be a great, great contest. But I did not see Calgary only scoring seven goals. One of the best stats for Colorado going right now is their second half defensive efforts and how good they have been after the halftime break. At the half, Colorado is pretty much even goals and 
goals for and against. They're 17 and 14 in the first half. The second half, they are 23 to 12. That's plus 11 in the second half of games. And that is what's allowing them to win the way they're winning. Look at the Vancouver game. They were kind of slow coming out of the gates. They stumbled a bit in the second half. But as soon as they got to the break, refreshed themselves and came out, they found that extra gear. They did the same thing to Georgia two weeks ago, and they did the exact same to Calgary this past weekend. Strangely enough, their three first quarters have all been tied, which is crazy. 8-8 over the first three quarters. And then after that, they just kind of seem to find another gear, and that is all due in part to the system that Pat Coyle is running along with Chris Gill and Dan Stroop. And everyone thought that this was going to be a team that struggled, not just defensively with the loss of Coates and Holding, but offensively too, because a lot of people felt that Callum Crawford and Ryan Banesh weren't, were different players and Banesh wasn't as good as Crawford and that Crawford was going to be sorely missed. Well, as I tweeted out on Friday night, that for those of you that think Colorado lost that deal, which ended up being Bouquet and Crawford for Benny, I really hope you can go back and watch that game. And actually, watch all three games and look and just watch and focus on Ryan Banesh. The work effort he puts on the floor every time he steps on the floor is... I don't want to say emphatic, but it's impactful and it's inspiring. And what it causes, it causes everybody to follow. He's fighting for loose balls. He's on the loose ball team. He's creating scoring opportunities off faceoffs. He's getting second and third resets for his team. And he is being so unselfish that it's contagious through that whole offense. The pass that Jacob Rue to threw to through to Eli McLaughlin for Eli's first goal. Most guys are going to take that shot. But Rooster could have taken it, saw Eli on the backside, and made that pass. And that just goes from Noble and Benny all the way down. But on the back end, and I tweeted this a few weeks ago that everyone talked about the loss of Coates and Holding were going to hurt this club. Well, Dan Carey was adamant, yes, their loss is going to hurt us, but it's going to allow other players to step up and rise to the occasion. And when you get Jordan Gillis, Bryce Sweeting, um, Taylor Stewart, Timmy Edwards, some of these younger guys that don't play a lot of minutes in years past or for other teams – they're playing massive, massive minutes. Late in that Georgia game, they had Stewart, Sweeting, Gillis all out on the floor during the last minute. And that's how much faith they have in these young guys. And everybody is pulling on the rope the same direction. Plus, you got Dylan Warden that playing unconscious. But this is a Colorado team that is playing with a purpose and playing together, and it's been great to watch. 
And unfortunately for Calgary, they just couldn't get anything going. Two goals in the first, two goals in the second, nothing in the third, and three goals in the fourth. And when you're shutting Curtis Dixon down and you're only allowing Dane Doby one goal, Zach Courier didn't get anything, only went one for two on draws. Tyler Burton took most of them. But for Calgary, this is a team that is struggling to find its identity. They are a team that is, you know, fairly unchanged over the four or five last few seasons. You know, they're bringing in fresh faces through the draft and free agents. But this is a core group of guys that have been together for quite some time. But it's the others, and they're trying to figure out where they fit. Ryan Martell featured into his first National Lacrosse League game, scored on his first, maybe his second shot. I think it was his second shot. But there's a kid that was able to fit in the lineup along with Anthony Kalinich playing their first games and played quite well. But when you change your lineup that drastically by taking out Bobby Snyder and I can't remember who the other player that came out uh, late in that, or that wasn't dressed in that game. But that changes a lot of things to your team and your dynamic. And it's not like Frankie played a terrible game. I talked with um, Rob Williams, their defensive coach, quite a bit. And I was surprised that Colorado had taken all three stars in that game. Um, Side note, they've taken all three stars in all three of their games. But I truly think that Frankie Shiliano made 42 saves on 52 shots, probably was deserving of a star. He kept them in that game. He didn't get a lot of help from his offense, credit the man with defense. But his team needs to be better. And I have a feeling that the next time they take the floor, they are going to be better. And that just happens to be Saturday in Buffalo, which is going to be a massive game for both teams, Calgary and Buffalo, both at one and two, and would like to right the ship, as it were, because uh, Buffalo, the next team we're going to talk about, um, felt it on the chin the other night against Toronto. And this is a score that I did not see coming. It was 12-8 at half. Toronto scored six goals in three of the four quarters. And they were able to run away from the Buffalo Bandits, who once again didn't get a great performance from Alex Bouquet. He lasted just over 16 minutes, gave up seven goals on 15 shots, and gave way to Zach Higgins who gave up 12 goals on 45 shots. But with David DeRuscio still on the IR, Alex Bouquet is going to have to find some sort of form pretty darn quick. Or they might be making a phone call to bring Anthony Cosmo out of retirement. I'm still a fan of Bouquet. I like his game. Teams have just been absolutely lighting him up in the past couple weeks. And his numbers aren't very good right now. He's usually a pretty decent goaltender. His highest goals against in Colorado was two years ago when he was a 
His lowest was his first year where he was a 9.36. In three games in Buffalo, 15.91 and a terrible .719 save percentage. That, my friends, will not win you many lacrosse games. And for the Buffalo Bandits, they're going to have to start winning games because this is a club that is in the tougher Eastern Division with the talent that's out there. They are going to need to find a way to start winning some games. They're at home. Their next two contests against Calgary and Vancouver, which could be a good thing for them. Get away from playing Eastern Conference teams. Two games at home in front of the Bandit Land crowd at Key Bank. And maybe, just maybe, they can start to turn this thing around. They're averaging 12 goals per game or so. Offensively, that's okay. But their last two games, they've given up 20-plus. And that won't win you any games. But you have to give a lot of credit to the Toronto Rock in that contest. They finally were able to find their form offensively. Um... And that's a good thing. You know, Hellier had six. Jonesy had nine. Schreiber had seven. There's your three big guns. You know, you look to Brett Hickey to be one of your point producers. He only had four, but that's okay. Dan Craig, the rookie, probably scored one of the nicest first goals I've ever seen since Ryan Lee. Chipped in with four points. They need Schreiber to step up. He had his best game of the season to date. And everybody on that Rock roster chipped in. Rosie made 39 saves on 52 shots. He looked pretty steady. There are times, though, and this is very noticeable on game film when you go back and watch, that there are times when Nick Rose just, and I'm not saying he gives up, he just knows he's beat. Oftentimes there when an outside shooter um, winds up for a shot, and Rosie comes to the top of his crease, and he's solid, and he's and he's steadfast, and he's tall, and he's looking to break that or stop that shot. And all of a sudden, the ball goes flying past over his shoulder to either a guy in the backside or a guy directly behind the net who's going for the alley oop dunk, and he just knows he's not going to get there. And he at times he kind of looks defeated, and he's like, "It's that oh crap moment where." He's ready for the shot. He's ready. He's ready. And all of a sudden, it goes flying past him, and he doesn't hear it hit the boards. He knows someone's dunking it in his net. So I think that's something that I know Toronto would like to shore up, try to find a way to limit those passes and keep guys closed off, especially when outside shooters are winding up. But this is a rock team that's going to welcome or that's going to travel west this week to take on the Vancouver Stealth. And an opportunity for Toronto to climb back into a tie for first with New England and Rochester. Well, they would actually still be uh, in third because they'd only they'd be two hundred or sorry five hundred if they won. They'd still be a half game uh, behind New England and Rochester. But an excellent opportunity for this club to make a statement on the road. They're zero for one on the road this year. They're heading to Vancouver, a place where they've often had success. And against a team that's 0-3 and starting to fight for their lives. Because this Vancouver club had the second most hellacious travel journey out of anybody this weekend. 
and it looked like they were going to do well. I was, I was going to say great, but it looked like they were going to do well right off the hop. And they jumped out to, I believe it was a 2 nothing lead right off the get-go, and they had momentum. And they had New England on their heels. And you're like, okay, this is a new-look Vancouver team. Jumping out to an early start, they get a goal from McCready. They get a goal from Brandon Goodwin, who's getting some O reps, which is awesome. And then all of a sudden, over the course of the second and third quarter, sorry, the first and second quarter, New England goes on a 5-0 run. And next thing you know, sorry, a 6-0 run, and it's 6-2. Vancouver gets a couple back at 6-4, end of the half. Okay, they're in a pretty good spot. Brody McDonald got the start. And he lasted all of 16 and a half minutes. Five goals, 14 shots for nine saves. Ty Belanger comes in, kind of holds the dam together a bit, makes 28 saves on 35 shots, gives up seven. But in that third quarter, Vancouver goes on a 5 nothing run and takes the lead. And all of a sudden, it's 9-6 after three. And Vancouver's feeling pretty good about themselves. And I think that's where this club often gets into trouble. It's not an ego thing. I think it's a complacency thing. And it's the mindset that, oh, great, we just scored. It's actually a seven-goal run if you go back to the second quarter. They're like, okay, great, we just went on a seven-goal run. We've got control of this game. And they just lose focus. And when they go to the fourth quarter, uh, they had a power play early on when Seth Oaks took a penalty, unable to capitalize. And then Beersy goes into the penalty box. New England scores in the power play. Took all of 40 seconds. And then a minute and a half later, Spanger takes a penalty for New England. He goes into the box. Again, another opportunity. Uh, Vancouver's still up at this point. And a great chance on the power play. To kill that momentum of New England, get their momentum back and re- regain that three goal lead. Well, Sean Evans and Joel Coyle scored back to back shorties to tie the game. And next thing you know, it's a seven goal run for New England of their own, and they take it 13 to nine. And Vancouver just, whether, whether they ran out of steam or they just folded the tents in, which isn't their MO. But it's an ongoing issue for this club. They're 0-3 now. And they have the Rock coming to town. Their power play is abysmal. Um, They're giving up shorthanded goals left and right. The biggest issue right now for this club is the fact that Reese Dutch and Corey Small have a combined two goals. And... For a team that got nearly 200 points or more from those two guys alone. That's a tough way to start. Not having Logan Schuss due to work commitments hurt. But they only have two players in double digits and points. McCready's right there at nine. But after three games, to only have two guys in double digits. For as talented as that offense is, there's something missing. And I don't know what it is. It's not like... You know, those shooters just magically 
lost their shooting touch. But it's going to be interesting to see how this team bounces back. I'm interested to see who they start, Ty Belanger or Broda McDonald. And also interested to see what off what what lineup they put in. Cliff Smith saw his first, first action of the year, scored a goal. Uh, Brandon Goodwin's played in all three games, and he's chipped in seven points. Brandon Cloland um, has been a nice surprise in transition. I know they'd love to get more to Tony Malcolm. But again, I, I think... In, in a West division with four teams and we're all but one make it, you can't afford to go too far down. A few years ago, Calgary went, what, 1-6 and six or 0-6 oh to start the year, and they still made the playoffs. So it is possible, but you don't want to keep digging that hole. So the Stealth come home to take on the Toronto Rock this weekend. That's the one of three games on the schedule. And the only other game we haven't talked about is the Rochester-Georgia game. And I'm just going to read you a few of the tweets that I posted that day just to kind of give you an idea how of how crazy it actually was. So, the Nighthawks were supposed to fly out Friday. That didn't happen. Their flight was canceled at midnight. Uh, they were kept on the plane for another hour, and then their bags didn't get released until 3.30 a.m. So... They're all in the Toronto airport. They all either have to go home or find a hotel somewhere and told to be back at 6 a.m. They didn't get on a flight at 6 a.m. That didn't happen. Now we're looking at game day, Saturday. They have to head back to the airport and pretty much wait most of the day to try to figure out if they're even going to be able to get a flight down to Atlanta. Well, it turns out they weren't able to get a commercial flight. So they hired two charter planes and the Nighthawks posted a couple pictures of how small those planes are. Seriously, one seat on each side of the plane, maybe you could fit a dozen or so guys. They were told bare bones only. Clothes on their back and their equipment. That's all they were allowed to take. No carry-ons, no laptops, nothing. They weren't due to arrive in Atlanta till 4 o'clock. The game was supposed to be at 7, I think, 7.30. It got pushed back till 9. They went through five gate changes, two delays, a canceled flight, two charter jets, and a bus ride. And they finally got to the arena like an hour and a bit before the game was supposed to start. It got pushed back to 9 o'clock Eastern. Meanwhile... The Swarm are, they got two chains hanging out. It's their ring ceremony night. It's their banner raising night. It's their home opener, last team to have one. And now they just got to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Which is why it kind of worked out to the benefit of the Rochester Nighthawks to start that game. Because Rochester kind of started that game just on pure emotion. And when you're playing in a game and it's, like I said, you have traveled all day long. You've been sitting in airports and on planes and in buses, and you're literally driven right to the rink. No time for walk around. No time for game film. Let's just go and play. 
you're able to use that and just play off pure momentum and energy. And they jumped out to a 4-1 lead after the first, and people were like, what the heck is going on? And then Georgia was like, whoa, whoa, let's settle things down here. And they end up outscoring Rochester 13-7 over the rest of the game to take it 14-11. It could have been worse had Georgia not gone one for eight on the power play. But a seven-goal second really flipped it, and that's when you could kind of see this Rochester team just, they just didn't have the legs. They tried, and they battled, and they did everything they could to get themselves back in that game. They just couldn't. And if they would have won that game, it probably would have been the gutsiest win I've seen in this league in a long time. And you have to give credit to Mike Hazen and his staff for all that they did. But that was just a tough, tough loss and a grueling 24 hours for this Rochester Nighthawks club. And so we caught up with head coach Mike Hazen earlier on Tuesday just to talk about how crazy everything was. But our conversation started uh, just focusing on the relationship between the coaching staff their relationship with being former Nighthawks and how they bring that mindset of team and family into the players and give it to that team to help them become a better team, especially after missing the playoffs last year. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's it's a big factor of of our success and and, and hopefully where our success will, will lead to it as well is. It would kind of speak from experience a little bit, actually. All of us uh, do, because uh, mm-hmm. we've worn that we've worn that jersey, we've bled for the jersey, and and we've done whatever was possible to, you know, to make the jersey successful. And we're kind of relaying those same messages uh, to this group here, and, and we have been, and and so far so good. But like I say, obviously this league and this game has got so many ups and downs, but. Uh, yeah. We're uh, we're trending upwards right now and trending in the right direction, and, and hopefully we uh, continue this momentum here. A nice start at two and one. Obviously, the game in Georgia was um, a bit of an anomaly just because of everything that happened. How crazy! Like you, I remember you and I uh, going through some crazy travels back in the day in Rochester. But was this the craziest and just weirdest twenty-four hours of travel you ever been through? No, oh, most definitely. And we've always, we've always, we've kind of sat there joking about it uh, afterwards. Uh, we, and we started counting uh, what happened and when it happened. But most of the time, it seemed like it was on our way home, never yeah, to a yeah. game uh, where where this one was just, yeah, it was just compounded. And, we, and the biggest part of it all, and the biggest was the downtime and not knowing where we were going. Um, mm-hmm. Again, because we were getting no answers from from the airline itself. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're at that time frame where they're, everybody else is really sleeping. So, um, you know, we're just sitting and waiting, just watching time go by was was the hardest point of uh, point of the whole time. Was there ever any communication between yourselves and league that maybe postponing the game to another date or canceling it and moving it later on the season as, as an option? Uh, no, and it, I think it was uh, it was kind of reiterated on both parts. We wanted to get there, um, yeah. and the league wants to get there. Um, and, and Georgia put up, uh, like I say, and Georgia put a, a good event uh, for their home opener, and uh, you know we had to be there for it. So um, yeah, there was really no talk about it. It's just okay. Let's get, let's find mm-hmm. a way to get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know, that's it was crazy how that game started. You guys kind of used momentum and just the the built up energy that you had to to race out to a quick lead. Kind of caught Georgia off by off guard. Um, how did you see that game from a coach's perspective? Because obviously you had to be really impressed with the effort you guys put in. Yeah, most definitely. And, and that's like I say, and a day like that today, we kind of walked into the walked onto the floor saying, you know. Um, Again, it's something we reiterate to these guys. It is about us. It's what we do. It's what we do um, away from the rink and at, at practice. Um, it, but Saturday night was that into fruition because we had no prep time. We weren't, like I say, we were in an airport in an airplane for 24 hours before we get to the rink. So, um, like I say, you always get our shoot arounds to go through a few things with, with Georgia and, and watch a little bit more game film and, and just sit in the room and talk about everything. But, uh, yeah, we didn't really have that opportunity, so it was about us. And like I say, we stepped on the floor with with some uh, some emotion and, and some fire in our belly because again, what it took us to get there, and yeah. and we read it, we uh, wrote it as long as we possibly could. Fourteen eleven, uh, a three goal loss, but like I said, you have to be impressed uh, with the character your team showed. But let's let's start with uh, Cody James, and obviously uh, coming back from injury, he this time he took his time, made sure he was completely healthy, and he looks to be back to the Cody James in the old. Yeah, most definitely, and, and you know, and, and I think if he's still has Jammer, um, he's still got more to give. Uh, mm-hmm. us, but uh, he's been really good. Um, and again, yeah, he, he he took his time, and, and and some of it was a bit of a struggle, I think, because uh, he wants to be on the floor like any competitor does, right? Of course. And uh, and like I say, I'm a little biased here, but one of the greatest players in the game right now. Um, we want him on the floor, uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we just had to make sure that uh, he was going to be able to last. Um, again, with with the season starting earlier, uh, his timetables got shortened up a little bit, and, and we didn't want to push him. Uh, we didn't want to rush him because it's December, right? And we yeah. had a long season to go. We wanted him in in the push in April and May, and, and hopefully into June. So that was that was our main strength, and our our main purpose, and our main goal with him. And he took it he took it in stride, but he, he pushed himself to, to make sure he's ready for game one. He's been good so far. You guys held Georgia to one for eight uh, on the power play. You're 17, you've only given up three power play goals on 17 chances. What's been the success for your short man unit? Uh, you know what? We're, like I say, we're, we're kind of doing what we do five on five as well, just trying to get in the lanes and, and just trying to allow V to see the ball. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I, I think he's been really good in, in, in stopping balls that you can see. Um, so again, we, we just we, we try to make, keep it as simple as we possibly can, uh, to put it in a nutshell. But we got also got lucky because there was four or five posts and crossbars that they banged off. And, yeah. And and sometimes you got to be you got to be good to be lucky, I guess. But uh, <laughs> a game of inches, right? Because it, it could have been blown wide open. Absolutely. If they would have had a few of those. Uh, Vino looks to be back to his old self after a bit of a tough year last year with you guys. Um, he's a guy that just constantly comes to the rink as a professional and prepared, but do you notice a difference in him this year, maybe after last year where you guys didn't make playoffs? Uh, yeah, to a certain degree. And and, and and one thing with OB last year was like he had uh, he had a lot of life-changing things happen to him with his birth of, of his baby girl and, mm-hmm. and getting into a new routine. And and uh, it takes time. Uh, like I say, it, it, it's, life changes happen and and this is just the game, so we got to make sure his life and home is taken care of first. And and sometimes there's a bit of an adjustment there. But uh, again, but V's always given us opportunity, opportunity to win. Um, even go back to last year, um, like we walked into the last weekend with an opportunity to make that playoff, and we fell a couple of goals short in the Friday game to Georgia. 
Um, and I think a big reason for that uh, last year was he. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a down year, but he played really well in front of the group we had. This is a team that, that knows that it, it's a different team than last year. It feels different. It looks different. Um, your young guys are producing. Uh, what do you like most about this group of guys, maybe compared to years past? Uh, you know what? Uh, again, I think uh, we got a really good mix, um, a really good mix that we haven't had, uh, I don't think, really ever. Um, we've been really veteran-based, and this year we, we got a good veteran base that we, that we trust to relay our messages, and, and we got a good uh, young core that's uh, buying in and doing what we're asking and then doing what the, the veterans uh, are doing as well with them. So it, it's meshing well right now. Um, again, but we're – you know, we're four weeks, five weeks into the season. We got three games under our belt, and we got 15 more to go. So we mm-hmm. got we got a long way to go. Um, but uh, so far, we're we're on the right. Uh, I think we're on the right path. Uh, we just got to improve uh, week to week. You guys get this week off before uh, taking on the Toronto Rock. What's the focus for you guys uh, for your midweek practice coming up and a, and a weekend off? Uh, yeah, you know, actually, we're we're going to take this whole week off. Just, oh, nice. just, just, but to, yeah, the travel actually kind of worked out with the travel we had. But uh, yeah. but yeah, again, playing uh, playing on the holiday, both holiday weekends, we felt you know we needed to get the the guys some family time because uh, we'll be in for a bit of a stretch here. And and yeah, so so and again, we're a little bit banged up and we're awfully tired from the weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This uh, this bye week for us is going to come at a good time. And, and like I say, we'll we'll hit the video with the guys. Uh, have a few conversations with them uh, from here till next week, and then uh, get focused and, and get ready for trial. Hazer, my friend, it's always a pleasure catching up. Uh, congratulations on a great start to the season. Happy New Year's, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Teddy, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, buddy. Head coach Mike Hazen of the Rochester Nighthawks. His team sits at 2-1 and one after losing to the Georgia Swarm 14-11 on Saturday. They are now tied with New England for first in the East followed by Toronto, Buffalo, and Georgia, all at one and two. And that whole Eastern Division separated by just one game. So, as expected, the East, very tight. The West, still pretty tight. Colorado has three wins. Saskatchewan has two. They're both undefeated. Saskatchewan a half game back. Then you have Calgary at one and two, two games back of Colorado, and Vancouver three games back because they fell to 0 and 3 this past weekend. And I think things are going to get interesting every single week as this season moves along. We've seen 24 goal nights, we've seen seven goal games, we've seen everything in between, we've even seen a few scraps. I saw Jordan Durston punching Nick Rose in the head. And then Chown Rogers jumped on. And there was five people in a little mix-up. And everybody got two minutes. It was the craziest thing I'd seen. And I'm liking it. The refs are letting the guys play. Egregious stuff, you call. Minor ticky-tack stuff, a couple punches here and there. Don't give them five. Don't chuck them. Just give them two. Let them sit, cool off, and get right back at it. I love it. And when you look at the way that this league is going, more teams, more players, more exposure, more fans, it's just going to get better from here on out. However, The one concern I've often had, and we've talked about this many times, 
is the lack of quality goaltenders. Now, I'm not slamming the goalie union. However, when you look at some of the performances over the first four weeks, you know, okay, Alex Bouquet playing behind a new defense, maybe that's why, but he's been shelled his last two outings. They bring in Zach Higgins. Everyone's thought that maybe Zach Higgins is a guy that could earn a regular time spot in this league. He got absolutely lit up. And give uh, Brian Shanahan credit. Him and Andy McNamara kind of pointed this out. That the Buffalo defense felt so uncomfortable in front of Zach Higgins that they were, and so they started to play very compact. And what that leads to is you just give the Toronto Rock shooters time and day to wind up from the outside, take a couple steps to get even closer, and just pick apart the Buffalo goaltender. So, again, not all of it gets hung on Zach Higgins, but, again, just kind of shows he's not quite ready. Ty Blanche had an incredible end to the year last year and was one of the big reasons that Vancouver made the playoffs. Him and Broda McDonald haven't had the greatest of starts. There are, I'll call it six, bona fide starters. We haven't seen a big enough sample size of Christian Del Bianco to say if he could be a starter. Everyone believes that he's going to be able to be one. I believe that. But his confidence continues to get bruised every time he goes into that in Calgary and gives up a few goals. Expansion is coming. Where are the goaltenders going to come from? It has to be a concern because some of the performances I've seen this year makes me believe that the depth of goaltender's talent isn't there yet. And that is why I'm very glad they capped expansion at two teams this year because there's not three to six NLL-ready goaltenders just lying around. Speaking of the Vancouver goaltending situation, Brody McDonald, apparently, and Jake Elliott will tell us this when we talk to him in a minute here, that Brody McDonald showed up like an hour before game time, maybe two hours, but was given the start anyway. And that may have led to his performance to start that game and then having to bring Ty Belanger in. And if it was always going to be a start and they held it, held held themselves to that. I get it. But sometimes you have to make a choice for your team. And if a goaltender shows up literally from the airport and you're throwing them right in, that's tough for a goalie. I almost wanted them to see Vancouver start Ty Belanger. And then if Belanger struggled, then you could put Brody in. But to throw Brody in right away, right off a bus or whatever, wherever he came from, from the airport, that's tough for the guy. But Jake Elliott has been witness to it all. And he was witness to a crazy, crazy road trip that the Vancouver Stealth had traveling from Vancouver all the way to Uncasville, Connecticut, and all points in between. And I just asked him how nutty their trip was. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't exactly fun. Let's put it that way. Uh, 
you know, it, it's a long trip uh, to, to make at any time, but to kind of do in the dead of winter right around the holidays, I think uh, added another element to it. Um, you know, the, the airports were crazy. The weather was crazy. And, um, you know, it was about, uh, it wasn't quite Rochester-esque, but it was, yeah. you know, it was a good 15-hour day uh, between airports, flights, bus rides, and, and delays. So, um you know, I don't. I don't want to hang the game all on that, and I know we'll chat no. about that. But um, I think it was probably a pretty predictable outcome after what the boys had gone through. Did, you, did I see you guys drove through the Bronx on the way back? Yeah, uh, Linter had his Snapchat uh, yeah. blazing uh, through there. There was some real cool shots. You know, the sun was kind of a, a blazing red that I've never seen before, and. And we got to, you know, go across the Hudson and, and through the Bronx. It was uh, it was an interesting road trip. But like I said, you know, it was a it was a three hour bus ride. Well, it should have been about a three hour bus ride from Mohegan Sun back to Newark, but uh, ended up taking close to five, maybe five and a half with the with the weather. And and that's you know, with having an, uh, we had a bus driver like I'd never seen before. The bus wasn't all that uh, glamorous, but man, oh man, this bus driver. He could have he could have been on an F one circuit for all he cared. He was weaving in and out of traffic, one hand yeah. on the horn, and uh, nobody was getting in his way. So it, uh, it was an interesting ride to say the least. Did you at least have some movies on the bus? No, you know, <laughs> we were lucky to get heat for uh, for a portion of it. Uh, to be quite honest with you, it was uh, like I said, we we battled some elements, but uh, yeah. you know, you never want to chalk that up to an excuse. But uh, it was. It was nice to to put that one behind us. Although we are headed to Buffalo in just a week. Yeah. <laughs> when we know the weather in Buffalo is as unpredictable as yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, let, let's go back to that New England game. It was six four at the half. Uh, you guys come out guns a blazing. Probably one of your best quarters of the year, outscoring them five nothing. You you looked like you had taken control of that game. What was the change, and what did you like about the third quarter compared to the fourth quarter? Well, they were running. You know, they ran a lot, uh, their transition game. I think they they got one out of Fournier. They got one out of Smith. They got uh, one out of McFedrich. Um, so, you know, their transition game really came to life, and and I really like that. Uh, Ty Belanger, I think, at one point stopped 17 to 18 shot. I think he let the first shot in. Yeah. Uh when he came into the game and he kind of thought, Oh no, and then uh and then he just caught fire and we kinda of saw glimpses of uh the Ty Belanche that we saw last year, so I thought that was a real positive sign. But but yeah, you know, they they, they get out to a two nothing lead and then it kinda of goes sideways on them and all of a sudden they're down six two and you thought, Oh man, this is gonna be a long night and then all of a sudden they go on a seven goal run and you thought, yeah. Oh, you know, is this the time that they've turned the corner here and then uh, like I said, man, you know, uh, literally Brody McDonald and, and Cody Tyker have walked into the arena as the bus was pulling into the arena. And they they had gone, you know, from Vernon down to Vancouver. They missed their connector. So they they had to go to Toronto on a red eye and then fly into Hartford. I think they had a car service get them to the Mohegan Sun. And, and they literally, you know, like walked in for warm-up. Yeah. Um, you know, Reese Dutch's bag didn't show up, Jamie Batley's bag didn't show up, Thomas Thomas Hogarth got completely snowed into Halifax and couldn't even <laughs> make the trip. So yeah. um, you know, I think he was predicted to play in that game and, and didn't even make it to to Mohegan Sun. So um I had my own issues. I <laughs> 
I literally, uh, you know, I set up my gear because I had some problems there the, the previous year. So I had all of my gear set up. So I was there a good two hours before the game and couldn't connect to the Internet. I, you know, had IT on the line. I had all sorts of people kind of trying to come up and help me and literally got connected back to the radio station as the second anthem was playing. I was set to call set to call the game on a on a hardline phone which which I did in Colorado last year which yeah. you know I was I was steaming mad <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm like when I get riled up and, yeah. and I was you know I was I was ready just to to drive somebody through a wall so <laughs> it literally it literally got connected I don't know what I guess there was some sort of crushed cable underneath the ground yeah. and uh, they finally figured out where the problem was coming from and rerouted it all so you know I got to give them some props for for actually getting it done, but uh, you know, I, I ran up and down the stairs about twelve times. I was in a froth, and it was just uh, it was a crazy it was a crazy weekend. But you know, to to get back to it, you know, the fourth quarter, man, they had a a nine six lead, and I think that they had a power play and a chance to kind of salt that one. And instead of getting the power play goal, they end up giving up two shorthanded goals, yeah. which is which has been a real you know, it's become a, a serious issue for them. I think they've given up six shorthand goals in three games, and and that was really the turning point. You could kind of see it on the bench, uh, head start to drop, and it was like, oh, here we go, and seven nothing for for New England in in the fourth quarter. And you know, Vancouver held them off the score sheet for close to thirty minutes of play. Yeah. But I really, you know, like after everything they went through, I think uh, you know that the air just came out of the tires and the gas tank was empty and. Like I said, probably pretty predictable that they just kind of ran out of gas in the end of that thing and and just couldn't hang on to it. So uh, it was a tough tough loss, tough weekend, and and a long weekend uh, to go along with it with the travel. Yeah, they, these two stats kind of go hand in hand. Six shorthanded goals against, and the offense on the power plays only scored one of twelve chances. What's the mm-hmm. easier What's the easier fix? Getting the power play going or shoring up those shorties? Well. I think they they go hand in hand, right? Because when you're scoring power play goals, you can't give up shorthanded goals. So it's 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 twofold, right? It's it's you know, and I'm not going to hang it all on Corey Small and Reese Dutch, but to have one goal apiece uh, between them after three games isn't yeah. isn't good enough, and and they know it. Everybody else knows it, and uh, the you know part of that is is getting the power play going and. And it's, you know, when they're not scoring, goaltenders are making saves and then guys get frustrated. And next thing you know, they're kind of jogging off the floor and the, the other team's pouring up the floor and, and not giving the defense a chance to get out. And, and it's transition going back the other way. And it's, you know, it's shorthanded breakaways. And mm-hmm. that's that's not what you you want to be doing, right? You If you put the ball in the back of the goal, then you're not on the, the man advantage. They're not shorthanded, and, and you don't have to worry about getting off the floor in a hurry to get your defense out there. So it's a big combination of everything, but I guess the, the bright side of it all is that it's easily correctable, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, you know, just bearing down on your chances. And, you know, I was talking to Reese Dutch in, in the airport on the way home, and then he kind of looked at me and goes, you know, what is it, Jumbo? He goes, these are shots. That, that I'm taking that have gone in for me my whole career, I can't quite figure out why they're they're not going in. And and I looked them and I, I didn't have an answer for them. I don't yeah. know because you know they, you know it's it's tipping off a stick, it's catching a post, it's a goalie making a miraculous stop. And and I just you know like I don't think you 
you lose 200 points of production in, in a summer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's still there for those guys and it's going to come. It's just, it's weird that it's kind of happened to both of them at the same time. And mm-hmm. the fact that it's happened to start a season at the same time is, is what's troubling, but uh, it can't last forever. It won't last forever. And uh, these guys are too good of players to, to let it continue. So, uh, I would think that the power play is going to get going. I think Reese Dush and Corey Small are going to get going, and and with that, this team will get going. Um, is it easy or is it is it okay to say that the loss of Jordan Durson has hurt this offense? Yeah, I think it is. Well, I mean, yeah, it's hurt, and you know, it, it's. I think more than anything, it's just taken a little bit of time for guys to figure each other out. You know, let's, yeah. let's not forget Logan Schuss wasn't in that lineup on, mm-hmm. on Friday in New England. And and I honestly believe if he was, that's probably a different outcome. Um, but, you know, Evan Messenger's coming along, but he's he's needs more. Tony Malcolm, again, blanked. Uh, he needs to contribute more. Joe McCready's going to do his thing. I thought Brandon Goodwin. Um, yeah, that's probably got, a great game. Yeah, who got thrust up into that offensive role had, had probably he might have been the best best player on the floor. So um, that's an interesting quandary there for the coaching staff. Like maybe do they stick with Brandon Goodwin and and maybe do they go with four left uh, come Saturday night? I don't know, but uh, I, I liked what I saw out of Brandon Goodwin up front. I think the Stealth have missed a guy on that that left side that that needs to do the dirty work. And then can put the ball on the goal when when the chances come. That's not really Evan Messenger's game, but if he wants to stay in the lineup, he's going to need to start doing that because you know that's that's what they need out of him. They don't need him to be a finesse player. They need him to be a mucker and a grinder. And and uh, you know if he doesn't figure that out quickly, then he's going to be watching from the press box because I think Brandon Goodwin is fully capable of, of filling a role, kind of like Joel McCready on the other side of the floor. So. Um, you know, it's taken a little bit for everybody to kind of get in sync with each other. And, and unfortunately with the NLL in an 18 game season, you, you don't have a lot of time to figure that out. So, you know, they, they better do it sooner than later. Three, and zero out of the gate, you have Toronto coming to town this weekend. Uh, we don't like to say must win games when we're still in January, but it's a very important game. So you don't want to go down 0 and 4 in a, in a division that only has four teams. Uh, what's the biggest factor coming into this game for the team right off the start? Yeah, well, I think uh, you know you said three and zero. I, I wish it was three and zero. Sorry, zero and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, you know Toronto gets uh, a pretty big win. It looks like their offense found its legs against Buffalo last week. And I think uh, you mentioned the word start, and for me, that's that's probably going to be the biggest thing for Vancouver is the start. They have to come out of the gates and and have to keep the crowd engaged and and put Toronto on their heels and, and dictate the the tempo and the style of play that they want to play uh, at home. So I think the start is going to be the most crucial thing for them. And if they can get their legs under them early and, and get the crowd into it early, then, then they're going to be okay. And, and um, like I said, it's, I think it's just a matter of time before the floodgates open for, for 10 and 15. Still take on the Rock this weekend. What's up on deck for self classified with you and uh, good old Brad Chowner? Yeah, we're just actually uh, discussing that uh, right before you called. I think uh, we will have the aforementioned Brandon Goodwin on the show because I think he he deserves to to talk about the performance that he had, and then 
I think we're going to try and maybe look at a little Toronto perspective on on whether we get Hammer or maybe Shanny. I know uh, it's just Dexon with Shanny. He's taking his daughter down to Louisville, and he's not sure he's going to be able to line it up. But uh, hopefully we get some some sort of Toronto perspective and uh, see what's happening out east with those guys. And, yeah, I, like you mentioned, must win. And, and I got asked the question, is New England a must win going 0-3? And, and listen, like, yes, it's important. And we got Toronto and Buffalo coming up, another two Eastern Division teams. So if it was if it was two Western games coming up, then I would say, yeah, like you, yeah. you, you need to win those games. With it being an Eastern team, I'm not quite ready to, to hit the must win button yet. Um but you know, you wanna you wanna get a win under your belt, you wanna you wanna start to feel positive. But with all that being said, like Calgary's what, one game ahead of the stalls right yeah, now. Yeah. So, you know, we saw them a couple of years come out of the gates one and six and, and we're still able to make the playoffs. We saw New England start zero and three last year and, and made the playoffs. So it's I'm not ready to, to hit the must win button, but um you know, for sure, Vancouver needs to get a win under the belt and, and start to point the shift in the right direction. Jumbo, is always a pleasure catching up. Happy New Year, and yeah. uh, have a great show Friday and a great call Saturday night. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Right back at you, and uh, keep up the good work. There he is, Jake Elliott, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Stealth on NLL TV and TSN 1410 in Vancouver alongside Brad Chowner. They also host Stealth Classified Friday nights. On TSN 1410, we like to reach out to people from other teams, broadcasters, players, like to get them on the show, like to share the love. So, Jumbo's been a longtime friend of the show, been around since the early days of the OTCB radio show back in the day. And I think he's one of the longest standing broadcasters in the National Lacrosse League, alongside Gertler and Ripper. He's got to be getting up there and games called. I don't think that's a stat they keep track of. Another stat the National Lacrosse League doesn't keep track of is blocked shots. And it is something that I'm pining for this league to start covering. And my good buddy Joe Keegs over at Moneyball Lacks, it's actually Joe Keegan. Joe Keegs is a street name. Um, but he runs Moneyball Lax, and he started taking stats, analytics, if you will. And he has done a great job in just breaking down the game. He and his cronies um, do a lot of work just going back and watching broadcasts and breaking down play-by-play, who made what pass, what kind of shot it was, was there a loose ball, on-ball, off-ball transition, off a deke, whatever it may be. Well, he finally listened to me. And he has team block shot stats, percentage of shots attempted by an opponent that the defense has blocked. Leading the way, it might be due to the three block shots on one shift in the Calgary game, the Colorado map. 10.04% blocked shots. The NL average is 6.05. Now, there are guys in this league that just don't care if they get hit with a ball. And I am not talking about goaltenders. Guys like Ian Lord, Paul Dawson, Robert Hope, Ian Hawksby, Jason Noble, um... 
Kyle Rubish. Like, I could literally name every defender that plays an anchor position on a team because they wear a lot of shots. And it happens over and over and over every game. Watch, watch Ian Lord if you ever get a chance in a game. He will literally jump out or jump in front of a ball. Rory Smith, when he used to play, he used to go down in a one-knee half butterfly and try and block shots like he was a defenseman in hockey. And in one shift in that Calgary game, uh, they pulled Frankie Shiliano to the bench. It might have been near the end of a quarter or a six-on-five delay. And Colorado blocked all three shot attempts that Calgary tried to put on Dylan Ward. None of them made him on net. I think Joey Capito blocked two of them. And goaltenders love it. They love it. Sure, they don't get a save stat. Doesn't help their goals against average or their save percentage. But it keeps the ball away from the back of the net. So I guess technically it does help their goals against average. But after that sequence in Calgary, Dylan Ward came out and tapped all of his teammates on the head that were on the floor of that shift. Because... It takes a lot of guts to step in front of some of these guys' shots. And if guys like Mark Matthews and Lyle Thompson and Jesse King and Jason, Jeremy Noble, list goes on. I'm just, first names that come to my head. Don't feel upset if I left you or your team out. These guys are pumping the ball over 100 miles an hour. And you're just going to stick a leg out there and take one off the thigh or the calf or the knee bone or the shin bone? That hurts, my friend. You know when you kick your toe in the middle of the night off something hard? And it just is the worst pain ever? Let Mark Matthews fire one right off your thigh. That, my friends, is the worst pain. Because it stings. It goes deep into the muscle. It cramps that muscle up. You can hardly walk or bend your leg. If it's on your calf, it's even worse because every time you try to run, you can feel it. So, please, National Lacrosse League. Next year, just make a little stat line right next to cause turnovers. I don't want to say BS. Uh, SB, shots blocked. Easy. And you will start to see how impressive... Some of those stats are of what and what guys are laying their bodies on the line more. Now, you're not going to see, like in hockey, guys full layout. Not everyone's going to pull an Ian Lord. But I truly think that that's a stat line that should be rewarded for players because guys are doing it more and more. And I joked about... um, Anthony, was it Anthony Cosmo? No, it was Matt Vince. When Matt Vince moved into second all-time saves because Cosmo's already had it. Um, Vino moved to second all-time, and I joked saying that he probably would have got there faster if guys like Paul Dawson and Ian Lord weren't blocking shots in front of him. He jokingly replied, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But he loves it. And goalies will always give a tap for a guy blocking a shot. So kudos to those Guys, I almost said those dummies who want to just willfully stand in front of shots because I would never do it. Field across goalies, you guys 
are a completely different breed. But D guys who will just, you know, lean in. Like, the spot that wears it the most is short man when you're the crease guy and the ball's on your side of the floor. Oftentimes what will happen, I remember Pat Coyle used to do this all the time. What he would do is he would stand in between your line of vision and the near side post so you couldn't shoot near side. And if you did, you had to shoot it right through him. Because what that does is not only does it deter you from shooting because, honestly, we have moral compasses in our head. And when you're firing a ball and if a guy's standing right in front of you, you often second-guess yourself and change your shot. So that's one reason why they do it. Two, it's to take away that near side shot so the goaltender can focus on far side. So those guys who anchor the creases on the short man wear a lot of balls. Off the shin, off the shoulder, off the glove, whatever it may be. Takes a lot, man. So hopefully that stat will become something that the league focuses on next year. Uh, one other story before we get out of here, um, and this is a fallout story from the Man Cup. A story was posted in the Peterborough Examiner um, right before the end of the year. And what had happened was is that, as the report goes, the Peterborough Lakers were using their PR person, Anna Taylor. Uh, she was using her phone to use the Periscope app to stream parts of the game. Now, I, there is a clause in the media or the Man Cup um, agreement that there is only one broadcast provider, and that was this year, it was play full screen, and that there were to be no other broadcasting of the games. So what Ann Taylor was doing is she was using the Periscope app and shooting chunks of the game so that fans back in Peterborough could watch. Now, of course, Playful Screen was webcasting it, 10 bucks a game. And a bunch of people tuned in and watched. Now, what the WLA contends is that the Lakers were actually streaming full games through the Periscope app. And they feel that they have um, legitimate argument. Uh, they have footage. They have evidence. But apparently, the CLA didn't want to believe any of that evidence. Uh, they didn't agree with the WLA's case. And so instead of getting the $11,766 and some odd cents that the WLA felt that they were shortchanged because people were able to tune into the Periscope app. Uh, they were given $500 because the Lakers rightfully agreed that they broke the broadcast agreement. To their argument, the Lakers said that they were only a combined eight minutes and 30-odd seconds of Periscope footage. Well, the WLA contends that they have full games, that they were streaming games live, which broke the code or the agreement. 
in the end, the w, or the Lakers paid $500 for breaking the agreement. And then the Lakers sent $500 to the WLA so that the league could pay for the nets that were cut out um, from the nets at Queens Park. Now, the bellies and the WLA don't own those nets. Queens Park Arena does. So the arena wanted to get reimbursed. Is it petty? Maybe. Do they have a case? Sure. Is it need to be as big a deal as it is? Probably not. But it just goes to show, like, we are on different pages. And I'm not saying anybody is in the wrong. Peterborough broke the agreement. The WLA has every right to ask for some monies returned. But it's just a crazy notion that because of how we are trying to quote-unquote grow the game through web streams and social media and the like, that it had to come to something like this. And Periscope is a streaming app. It's not something that, you know, you can you only get 11 seconds like Snapchat or 30 seconds or a minute like you get on Instagram or whatever it may be. It is it has the ability to stream live content, live footage. That's what it's for. So, hopefully we don't get anything like this happening happening again. And the best way that we can do that is to have a true solid webcast provider that provides the game whether it be pay-per-view or for free i still think games should be free um i I truly believe league should be you know out finding sponsors to to compensate the cost of fans having to pay ten dollars for games so it it was a crazy story when i heard it um you you could have at one point told me it was an april fool's joke um but now that I've talked to both sides of the the argument, I get it. I can understand it. So let's just all move on. Because there are bigger things ahead. There are more important things. But it was just a, a crazy story that popped into the news the other week. And it kind of sent a, a bit of a viral storm through the social media avenues of Twitter and Facebook and whatever. I take back saying it was a joke and it was laughable. But it's just another little thing that that kind of makes the national governing body just look bad. To just to have to go through this is just silly. So let's all move on. Forget it ever happened. And let's play some lacrosse. Three games on the National Lacrosse League scheduled this weekend. They are all on Saturday. Saskatchewan at Georgia. Calgary at Buffalo. The late game, Toronto at Vancouver. Thanks to Mike Hazen and Jake Elliott for stopping by to join me on the show. And as always, thank you to you, the listener, for checking out this week's episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLO Radio. 
teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email at off the crossbars where you can find me on Twitter. And until next time, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.